Thanks for listening to this week's Hope at Crossroads. We are glad you're taking the time to listen. As you tune in today, if you need encouragement or prayer, please reach out to us by texting 864-288-1626. Or you can connect with us through our website, hopeatcrossroads.org. Spread the word to your friends and let them know they can subscribe at Apple Podcasts or on Spotify. And now, here's this week's message. Amen. My favorite Christmas song, Oh Holy Night. Thank you, Jared, for playing that for us this morning. Our musicians and the Causey girls, thank you so much. If you've got your Bible, turn to John chapter 18. John chapter 18, while you are turning there. Let me uh, remind you a couple of things very quickly. Some have asked about the men's conference. Please don't forget about that. Of course, we have Michael O'Brien, January the 15th. Uh, Don't forget about that. Weekday calendars are in the back if you want one of those. Don't forget about that. A lot of things going on in the life of our church. Thank you for your prayers uh, for Lynette and I this past week. Uh, We were able to get away uh, 26, wow, 26 Years she's put up with me. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. And, and uh, yes, I know. Amen. Bless you, sister. Bless you. She's done well. She showed me a survey. I got I to gotta just tell you guys, y'all are family. I got to tell you. She showed me a survey this past week, about middle of the week. She said, I want you to show you this survey. And the survey was 85% of husbands know their wives' favorite flower. She said, do you know mine? Now, i got to confess to you, 26 years, I don't even know if the conversation has ever come up, what's her favorite flower. I mean, you would think a rose, right, or whatever. So after a few guesses, I finally got it right. So I decided this morning I would kind of test some of our folks who have been married a long time. So I asked Steve Graham this morning, I said, you've been married a long time. Do you know your wife's favorite flower? And he said, I sure do. I said, what is it? He said, self-rising. I love you, brother. I love you. <laughs> Should have guessed that from the get-go, and I probably would have been right. But uh, self-rising flower, yeah, okay, all right. Hey, thank you to Heath for uh, preaching last week. As we were going through our study of John, we know that last week uh, Jesus uh, started to pray. Uh, he offered prayers for different things for his disciples, for his will to be done. The disciples are still trying to figure out what, what's going. He's promised that he's, he's going to be leaving, but he's sending the Holy Spirit. So they've, been, they've heard all these things, and they're trying to figure out what in the world is going on. And then he shared about the Holy Spirit coming. And then we get to chapter 18, and I want to encourage you, uh, when you get home, to read the whole chapter. Uh, for sake of time, we won't do that this morning, but just very quickly to kind of bring you up to what we're going to look at this morning. Chapter 18 starts with uh, the betrayal of Judas. One of the disciples betrays Jesus. And because of that, Jesus is taken uh, to uh, Annas, who is the father-in-law of the high priest Caiaphas. He is struck because he didn't answer the question that the way that they thought he should answer. And then... Uh, Annas sends Jesus to his son-in-law, Caiaphas, and I want us to pick the story up right there at verse 24. Jesus is being led to be crucified, and these are the um, uh, 
if you will, phony trials that are going to happen before that uh, crucifixion experience. And here's what the scripture says. Here's what John tells us, verse 24, chapter 18. Annas therefore sent him, this is Jesus, bound to Caiaphas the high priest. And Simon Peter was standing around and warming himself. And he said therefore to him, you're not one of his disciples, are you? And he denied it. And we know that Peter denied Jesus three times. He said, I'm not. One of the disciples, verse 26, one of the slaves of the high priest being a relative of the one whose ear Peter had cut off. If you remember, Peter cut one of the guards' ears off when they came to arrest Jesus. said, did I not see you in the garden with him? And Peter denied it again, and immediately that was the third time the cock crowed. And they led Jesus, therefore, from Caiaphas, verse 28, into the praetorium, and it was early and they themselves did not enter into the praetorium in order that they may not be defiled because uh, they might not eat the Passover. And Pilate therefore went out to them and said, What accusation do you bring against this man? They answered and said to him, If this man were not an evildoer, we would not have delivered him to you. And Pilate therefore said to them, Take him yourselves. Judge him according to your law. The Jews said to him, We are not permitted to put anyone to death that the word of Jesus might be fulfilled, which he spoke, signifying by what kind of death he was about to die. Pilate therefore entered again into the praetorium and summoned Jesus and said to him, Are you the king of the Jews? Now let me stop right there. I want to ask you a question. I want you to be thinking about your answer. Some of you, like myself, have wondered over these last few weeks, I think it's maybe months, um, why are we studying John? What does John have to do with Christmas? So I want to ask you a question. And there's probably a wide range of answers that would come if I gave you an opportunity to answer out loud. Why was Jesus born? And you may have several answers that would come to your mind. Why was Jesus born? I love it when Jesus gives us the answers to the question. Because it makes it easy. And he's about to give the answer to that question. So let's continue uh, reading. Pilate, verse 33. Let's read that again. Therefore entered into the praetorium and said, Are you the king of the Jews? And Jesus answered, Are you saying this for your own initiative or did others tell you about me? Pilate answered, I'm not a Jew, am I? Your own nation and the chief priests have delivered you up to me. What have you done? Jesus answered, My kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, then my servants would be fighting that I might not be delivered up to the Jews. But as it is, my kingdom is not of this realm. Pilate therefore said to him, So, you are a king. Jesus answered, You say correctly that I am a king. Here you go. Here's the answer. For this I have been born. And for this I have come into the world. To bear witness to the truth. Everyone is of the truth. Here's my voice. We'll stop right there. Some translations say it this way. That when Jesus answers, he says, yes, you say I'm a king. In fact, the reason that I was born, I believe it's the NIV, the reason that I was born and came into this world is to testify to the truth. We sung a, a hymn I had asked Joey to sing. Come thou long expected Jesus, 
born to set the people free. From our fears and sins release us, let us find our rest in thee. Here's the second verse. We didn't sing this morning, but here's the second verse. Born thy people to deliver, born a child and yet a king. Born to reign in us forever, now thy gracious kingdom bring. There's four things that I see from this passage of Scripture that can help us understand what John is trying to say, but we have to do a few things, and here's the first thing that we have to do. We have to correctly define the word king. We must correctly define the word king. You know, you hear that word a lot during the time of Advent. You hear that a lot during Christmas. It's in a lot of our Christmas songs. Joy to the world, the Lord has come. Let earth receive her king. Uh, Hark the herald angels sing. Glory to the newborn king. Noel, Noel, born is the king of Israel. There's all these Christmas songs that have the word king in it, which is appropriate. And this whole concept of kingship and monarchies, if you will, uh, was pretty much worldwide accepted and people knew what Jesus was talking about from the standpoint of the word king. You and I, living in the United States of America, we don't think a lot about kings because we don't have a king. Now, don't get political on me. You might think the current one acts like a king. Our past ones have tried to act like a king. Don't get political on me. We still do not know what it feels like to live under a king. And I would submit to you that makes it difficult, actually, for us to follow Jesus. Because we think Jesus sometimes is like a president. And we can vote and have a majority and vote not to do what he said. But he's not a president. He is the long-expected king of the world. And we have to correctly identify the word king. Actually, if you go all the way back, if you'll remember, just refresh your course here when we studied the book of Genesis. If you go all the way back to Genesis chapter 1, God sets himself up in Genesis chapter 1 as king of the world. Because he says throughout the book of Genesis about it's his dominion and his rule. And then he creates man and woman and he allows man to kind of have a little bit of kingship because he gives man and woman the instruction of go be fruitful, multiply, and have dominion. So this whole idea of kingship has been around since the beginning of time. We just kind of put the spotlight on it at Christmas. How unfortunate. I'll do a better job as one of the preachers here to make sure we remember that Jesus is King 365, not just during Christmas. He is our King. So if I ask you and I the question today, what does that mean for for the baby Jesus to come and be declared as king, what does that mean? I might hear a lot of answers from our congregation. I might hear, well, Jesus is king because he's king within my heart. Or Jesus is king because he's Lord of my life. Or Jesus reigns in the hearts of his people. Or he rules over his church. He's king. None of those answers would necessarily be wrong. But those are not the answers you probably would get if you asked a first century Jew what was meant by the word king. Probably not what actually would be misunderstood by the word word king if you asked Charles Wesley, the great author of that hymn, Come Thou Long Expected Jesus. So if we were to try to understand what king is about, how would we begin to understand what 
being a king is all about. I'm glad you asked that question because you actually have to go back to Luke chapter 1. So flip back to Luke chapter 1 if you will with me. Luke chapter 1. Because Luke, the great doctor and gospel writer, sets up Jesus as a king way back when Gabriel announces his birth. Luke chapter 1. Let's just start with verse 26. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God. By the way, angels do not do anything without God's approval or his sending. So, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to the city of Galilee called Nazareth to a virgin engaged to a man whose name was Joseph of the descendants of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. And coming in, he said to her, Hail, favored one, the Lord is with you. She was greatly troubled at this this statement, and she kept pondering what kind of salutation this might be. And the angel said, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you you shall call him Jesus. He will be great. He'll be called the Son of the Most High. Don't miss this part. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom there will be no end. These are kingdom ideas that even at the birth announcement of Jesus coming to earth, God tells us that he sent Jesus as Jesus told Pilate, I was born for this reason. I was born to be a king. I was born to have a kingdom. I was born to be in charge. I was born to reign. And he will reign forever and ever. And Luke tells this account through the the story there in Luke and through the angels. Announcement to Mary that he is going to be great. He's going to be called the son of the most high. The Lord God will give him the throne of David. Gabriel's words actually bring back, if some of you remember from the Old Testament, uh, the, the promise from Yahweh to David. It's in Second Samuel, if you want to go check that out later this afternoon. Where God promised to David that his descendants, David, your descendants will be on the throne forever and ever. All this has happened at the beginning of time. We just celebrate the inauguration, if you will, with the appearance of Jesus as a baby on the earth. The throne of his father David, the Messiah, was prophesied to David to have the rightful authority to rule over Israel. And of his kingdom there will be no end. So you and I have to correctly understand what this word king is all about. But not only what the word king is all about, we have to understand what kingdom is all about. Because a king has to have a kingdom. Otherwise, he's not a king. What is he a king of? He can just say he's a king. And Jesus' kingdom, part of the reason that they wanted to kill Jesus, is because the kingdom that Jesus came to set up, and the kingdom that Jesus is going to rule and reign, was a threat to them. So let's go back and look at the story again in John and see what Jesus And Pilate are talking about here. Pilate asked him in verse 37, Are you a king? And Jesus answered, You say correctly, I'm a king. For this reason I have been born. For this I have come into the world to bear witness to the truth. He says before that in verse 36, My kingdom is not of this world. If it were of this world, my servants would come in here fighting. You would be dragging me to the crucifixion because you would be dead. 
Because I could call on my warriors to come in if it was the same kind of kingdom. So what is this kingdom that Jesus is talking about? Well, we sung about it this morning. The choir sung about it. It's a kingdom that's kind of unusual because it's a kingdom that reveals the king not in a royal palace, but in a dirty manger. It's a king that a kingdom that God puts into place through not some what we would perceive as some mighty warrior, but through a very vulnerable infant baby. How crazy is that? And for you and I, those of us that say that we're believers, that we're a follower of Jesus, the way that we live in the world, the way that we display the way that the king rules our lives in the world shows people the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is actually right now. We're in the kingdom of God. We are living in the kingdom of God. Somebody said it this way. I love this. The greater the rule and reign of the king in the hearts and lives of his people, the greater the manifestation of his kingdom and the greater the impact. So simply put, what Jesus is trying to help Pilate understand here is this kingdom of God is a kingdom where God's appointed king, who is Jesus, is presently reigning and living in the hearts of people. So here's the question that I had to wrestle with this week and I'm going to ask you to wrestle with this morning. Who's your king? Because a king tells you what to do. A king is not my uh, business person that I say, well, that sounds like a good idea. I'm going to have my secretary call your secretary and they'll kind of discuss it and we'll get back and we'll kind of come up to a compromise. The king is a king who tells me what to do and as his subject, as his servant, I do what he says. I have no choice in the matter if I'm truly serving Jesus as a king. And so with the arrival of Jesus, what's so great about, about Christmas is with the arrival of Jesus, what God is saying physically is, I'm inaugurating my kingdom on earth as it is in heaven. I'm, I'm going to visibly and tangibly let future generations look back at the manger and see that my kingdom is here now because I placed it physically through Jesus. Now, don't get me wrong. God was in charge long before Jesus showed up because Jesus was present back at creation. If you remember Genesis, our study, let us plural, make man in our own image. Jesus was there in the beginning. As a matter of fact, Paul says it this way in the book of Colossians. He says, everything that was created was created by him, meaning Christ, because he is before all things and in all things. I know, I know, me too. My head starts to explode too to try to figure all that out. But the physical presence for us on this side of history to know that God's kingdom is present is the presentation, the inauguration, if you will, of this little baby who came. And this little baby was a sign to the world and a sign that those angels are telling the wise men and the shepherds and those that will come to see the baby Jesus. Here in this manger is a, is a dramatic sign of one who is going to take things to the next level in a major way to shift people's paradigm about what kingdom is about. Because kingdom in that mindset, in that century and and in most people's mindset, was a warrior-type king. That's what they were looking for in the Messiah, which is why many people didn't think Jesus was the Messiah. They expected an earthly king. See, they had seen a lot of kings. Think about it. You and I know some of those kings very well. We know King Saul. 
We know Samuel, who was before King Saul. We know King David. There were good kings and there were bad kings. And the truth of the matter is, if everyone had followed Yahweh, who was the king, but you remember what happened? That wasn't good enough for them, what they say? No, we want a king like the nations have. If you know your history, your Bible history, there was a time where there was judges, and then people said, no, we want a king like everybody else has got. And so God said, okay. So he sent a physical person to be king. Then we migrate into time and get into the New Testament. He physically sends another person, except this person is unique, one of a kind, God in a body, Jesus Christ, King of the world, in the flesh. God with us, Emmanuel. And we are living now in this kingdom. The truth actually is, we're living in the kingdom of God to the degree that we let God, we let Jesus be the king of our life. So you may say, Pastor Jack, I don't really feel like I'm living in the kingdom of God. My question to you is, how much are you letting the king have control of your life? To the degree of control that you give to Jesus the king will be to the degree that you live in the kingdom of God. Because like you, there are times in my life, surprise, where I have compartments of my life that I think are not subject to the king. And what you and I know is the king, if he's the king, he owns everything. So when the king gives me instructions to do something, I can't say if he is truly my king. Well, Lord, I'm not sure I want to do that. Let me take a vote on it with my family. See, that's the mindset, though, that we're used to. There's pros and cons of living in the greatest country on the face of the planet. That's the con, though, is that we tend to think that God's kingdom operates the way the United States of America does. It doesn't, because he's the king. The third thing that I see here from this text, by what Jesus tells Pilate, is the church is a tool of the kingdom. But it is not the goal. It's not the goal. Say, Pastor Jack, what's the goal? The goal is the kingdom of God. Jesus just said that is the very reason he was born. Was to be king and to bring about his kingdom. So if I am a citizen of the king, and I live in his kingdom as a believer, then my role as a citizen of the king, a citizen of the kingdom, and he's my king, I'm going to be about his business. I'm going to, you've heard it said, be about the father's business. I'm going to be about what he's about. I'm not going to be about my own personal preferences, my own wants, my own needs, as great as I think those are. They're so important. I really do want that nice four-door pickup truck for Christmas. Please, Lord Jesus, bring it. Sweetheart, you got that on my list? Okay, probably not. I can want those things and think I need those things and want whatever personal preference that I want. Can I be really honest? You know I will be. I can want whatever personal preference I want for me, for my family, Crossroads, I love you. I can want whatever personal preference I want for our church. But if it does not line up with what King Jesus says, I need to change my opinion. If he's the king. I mean, if he's not the king, that's all right. It's not all right. But he's the king. He said it this way in the book of Matthew, if you remember. Uh, he said, seek ye first, what? The church. No, he didn't say that. He said, seek ye first the kingdom of God. Then all these things will be added unto you. 
I used to think that the Lord was all about the church. Don't get me wrong. God ordained the church. We are the bride of Christ. But our role of effectiveness in honoring the king and serving the king is directly proportionate to how much we do what the king says. And his kingdom either is first or our crossroads is first. And as much as I love crossroads, his kingdom has to be first. If you and I, fo- are you guys getting this this morning? If you and I focus on his kingdom being the priority, he will take care of Crossroads Baptist Church. If we take care of Crossroads Baptist Church, he may or may not take care of his kingdom. He is not obligated to take care of Crossroads Baptist Church. He is obligated to grow and advance his kingdom because that was the reason he came in the first place. I'm excited because I just kind of learned more of that this week. The Lord was just like, I was reading this going, why are we studying John when it's the Christmas season? And then I read that verse when Jesus said, this is why I was born. See, I used to think, well, Jesus was born to bring peace on earth. He is. But he is because that will come about when he becomes king of the world, when he returns. There will be peace on earth because there will be one person in charge. There won't be a bunch of mixed opinion where the book of Judges said the reason they wanted a king is because they wanted to do what was right in their own eyes. Right now we live in a world where everybody wants to do what's right in their own eyes. But when King Jesus comes back and breaks the cloud and takes his rightful place as the king, we will do what King Jesus says. And as Joey so beautifully prayed, right now we have, we have somewhat of, of, an, of an option whether or not we choose to bow the knee and say Jesus is Lord. But there will come a day where there will be no option. Because he will take his rightful place as king. And every knee will bow like the knees of the wise men. And every tongue will confess, you are Lord, you are king, you are savior of the world. That's why he came. That's why he was born. And we are living in that time right now. If, if the birth was like the inauguration of seeing us physically being able to see Jesus as king, right now we are living in the continuation of the kingdom of God. Because he has not yet returned. One day we will live in the consummation, if you will, when Jesus himself comes and breaks through the clouds and he returns here. Which tells me the fourth thing that I get from this passage of scripture with Jesus. If Jesus is the king, he will change all of our priorities. I'm not very smart, believe it or not. So I went online this week. I have not been to the United Kingdom. I've not been to... There's like a handful. There's like 30, 40 countries, believe it or not, still on planet Earth who have kings. Now, we get consumed with Britain and, you know, the princes and the prince and all the drama we see on American television about England and the UK and stuff like that. So we have a little bit of insight, we we think, about kingdoms and monarchs and how that stuff works. But... It's interesting some of the differences between a monarchy, a kingdom, being ruled by a king, and what we live in, which is a democratic republic. And if you have a strong king, like King David, then you have some great things when you have a king. And so I 
found some of these things online this, this week's study. You have, you have a united people when you have a strong king like King David. A godly king, appointed king. The one that was picked that was the run of the litter. You remember that nobody thought that little boy can't be king. You got, you're picking the wrong one. And no, no, they keep bringing the brothers in. And finally it's like, okay, this little runt, that's the one God wants as king. When the king is picked by Jesus, by God, then you have things like stability. You have things like neutrality. Where there's no favoritism. There's no leaning one way or the other on political parties. When you have a king, they don't care about political parties. They just care about you doing what they're about. Because they're the king. You have strength. You have solutions. And you go back and you can compare some great studies online. I, and I can send you this stuff if you'll just let me know if you want to see some of it. There's some great comparisons of King Saul's kingdom and King David's kingdom. It's remarkable what happens when the right king is leading. By the way, we have the right king. His name is Jesus. And see, that's where we get messed up, where you and I start to be the king of our, our homes and the king of our castles and the king of our lives, and we start to try to manage things and do things and manage priorities and do things. And God is kind of going, well, actually, there's, actually, I'm supposed to be the king. And the reason that's getting messed up is because you're not listening to the king. We think, and again, it's very hard to think differently because we live in a world. Even our church systems, to some degree, which scare me sometimes, are not monarchy-like. Not that I'm wanting to be the potentate or the king. That's not what I'm saying. But when you operate in a democracy or democratic republic, you have to be very careful that everybody's seeking the will of the king. Otherwise, you're going to be having tons of different opinions all over the map. And a democracy, which means ruled by the people, is a great system. And we live under that here in the United States. It's a great system when everybody is seeking the right thing. So, what are you seeking today is the question, who is your king? Am I the only one that sometimes it's so easy... To compartmentalize our lives into all these sections and say, God, you're, you're Lord over this, but not over this. You're Lord over our finances because we want to make sure the money keeps coming in, but you're not going to be Lord over the way I raise my kids. Are you going to be Lord over marriage, but you're not going to be Lord over telling me how to spend my time? We, we do that. We, we in America, we, I say we, me, I do that. You do that too. Don't look at me all weird. We do that. We treat God's rules like it's buffet. And we pick and choose what we want to do. Meanwhile, the king of the bar who's put all that stuff out there is, that's not the way this works. I'm the king. I tell you what to do and you do it. I have no rights if I am a true citizen of the kingdom of God. I gave away those rights when I said yes to the king. When I went and I bowed at the king's feet and said, you are my king... I gave away my rights to choose. But that's not the way most North American Christians live. Myself included. Jesus will come back. And when He comes back and He will take His place, that whole process of reversing the curse of sin and recreating all things is going to be completed. We sung about that this morning too. 
We read about it with the reading that BJ read for us with the Advent. Revelation, the king will come back. He will take his rightful place. When he returns, he will come back. And guess what? The good news is because the king is a king who loves us, who came for the very purpose also to die for us, and to reverse the curse of sin, that same king will come back, and when he reigns, there will be no more sickness, there will be no more death, there will be no more division, there will be no more worry, there will be no more, how am I going to pay my bill? There will be no more, why can't I get along? Because we all will be under one king. I can't wait. Can we go today? Come back, Lord Jesus. That's why he came. So how am I doing? I mean, that was what I put in red on my notes. How am I doing? Who is my king? Some days I choose King Jesus. Some days I choose King Jack. The days I choose King Jack are not good days. If I want the world out there to experience the Christ of Christmas then the way that I do that, the way that I demonstrate that, is letting the king have his rule and reign over my heart, my life, my decisions, my family, my children, my finances, everything. So any decision I make, my first question must be, if he is king, if he is king, my first question must be, what does the king want me to do? And church family, I can honestly say, And I've asked the staff to hold me accountable. That we try as a staff, everything that we talk about doing, want to do, our question has to be and has been, what does the king want us to do? You know what's so great about that? It actually makes life really easy. Because whatever the king says, you just do what he says. And you leave the results... The ramifications, the consequences, you leave it all up to the king. And if something goes haywire, or something goes wrong, or somebody doesn't like it, then you just turn around and look at the king and go, You're the king. You're the king. It actually makes living the Christian life easier. I'm grateful that our King Jesus was not elected because we know from the Scripture, had he had the opportunity to be elected, he would not have been elected. As a matter of fact, if you continue to read this chapter, what actually happens is he goes out in the crowd and Pilate basically says, well, I guess you guys can uh, let one of these guys go free because that's the custom around here, verse 39. And who do they cry for to be free? Barabbas, release Barabbas, crucify him, crucify him, crucify him. Unfortunately, I probably, if I'd have lived then, would have been in that crowd chanting the same thing. Because of my ignorance about what a king is and what a kingdom is. Jesus spoke all about the kingdom. Matter of fact, if you go read through the Gospels, we just saw or see in one this morning, there's many, many times he talks about the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is like. There's many parables where he say the kingdom of God is this, the kingdom of God is that. So are we living, am I living, like Jesus is the king? We are in a kingdom. It's not a physical kingdom. Spiritual kingdom. It will be a physical kingdom when he returns. I think about what 
earthly kingdoms have. They have resources. King Jesus has all the resources of the world at his disposal. Why? Because he created them all. If you and I fester and worry and fret about the future for our family, for our church, building programs, whatever, if we fester and fret, why? King Jesus has unlimited resources. His kingdom has unlimited resources. Earthly kingdoms have, have adversaries. They have enemies. Spiritual kingdoms have adversaries and have enemies. Our chief, chief of those among us is, is the enemy himself, the devil, the liar. The one who s- seeks to steal, kill, and destroy. Earthly kingdoms have defenses. So do spiritual kingdoms. We went through the whole study of some of those defenses we have as children of God. We have the armor of God. We have the helmet of salvation, the breastplate of righteousness, the, f- the feet of, of the gospel of peace. We have all those things. They're different too. External kingdoms sometimes are focused on social classes and have hierarchy. And the good thing is about our king, King Jesus came to make all things level at the foot of the cross. That you and I are equal. Because of what he did for us. So the question this morning that I'm asking myself and I would ask you. How you doing? Is Jesus your king? I believe, church, if he's your king and he's my king. We're about to enter a new year. There may be some priorities in my Life that have to change. If he's the king. There may be some priorities in my finances that have to change. There may be some priorities in my relationships that have to change. In my time that have to change. If an alien was to come down to earth. And drop in in your life or mine during the week. And you were to start to explain this idea. They said so. So. Tell me about this Jesus. And you were to get in that conversation and say to them, well, Jesus is my king. What would your life look like that would tell somebody who knows nothing about Jesus and the kingdom of God? What would your life look like to say to them, Jesus is my king and he's my priority? See, for the vast majority of believers, not crossroads, I I think we're exception to some degree. The vast majority of believers, generally speaking, Our lives and priorities look no different than those people who are not following Jesus as king. And so the world looks at us and like, you say Jesus is your king. I'm doing the same thing you're doing and Jesus is not my king. Why do I need need another thing in my life? Because we're the same. I've been convicted this week. Just being honest. And I talked about some of it when it comes to a few things in our family that we're thinking through and praying through. How about you? Will you pray with me this morning? Father, I thank you. You are King Jesus. You are King Jesus. Whether we let you be king or not is the question. Whether we allow you to be king in our lives or not is the question. Because you are King Jesus. Your kingdom is not of this world, as you told Pilate. For this reason, you told Pilate, for this reason I came to be born. To establish my kingdom. 
to testify to the truth of who God is. Are you my king? Church family, I've been praying for you this week. I do every week, but especially this week. I'm not even sure how to end the service today. I want to be quiet and give you a few moments and just ask the Lord, are you, are you my king? Beyond salvation, which is an important thing. If you're here today and you've never accepted the salvation that com- comes from Jesus, our king, sets you free, gives you eternal life, it starts today, the day that you say yes to him. If you've never done that, then in just a moment, I'm going to give you an opportunity to come down front, grab my hand or the hand of my friend Heath and say, I, I, need, to, I need to become a follower of King Jesus. But for the vast majority in here, we would say we've done that already. That's great. Praise God. But is he your king right now? And I'm going to be quiet and give you a few moments church I I believe in your life because he has in mind this week the Holy Spirit if you'll just ask him put his finger on some places in your life and say I'm not king right there maybe it's in your relationship with your spouse or your kids your workplace For some reason, on Sunday morning, I know from your seat to the front of this room seems like a couple of football fields in length. So I'm not even going to ask you necessarily to come down to the front this morning unless you want to or you won't feel the need to talk with someone or pray. But I just want you to ask the Lord, Lord, are you king in my life? If there's an area where the Holy Spirit puts his finger on something and says, I'm not right there, I want to challenge you just a moment. Right there in your seat, just to stand up and confess that and say, Lord, I I am letting go of that area. And I want you to be king. So I'm going to be quiet and ask you just to pray. If that's you, if that's the prayer of your heart this morning, and the Holy Spirit's put his finger on something, I just want to ask you to do business with the Lord. You can stand where you are. You can pray and say, Lord, forgive me. I confess this to you. Be king of this area and be seated. This is your time. Anybody, if you need to come down front, we're going to sing in just a moment. Just for the next couple of minutes, just pray. Say, Lord, Jesus, are you? Are you king? And if he speaks to your heart, you respond as he, as he does.
Lord, I pray even now that you're speaking to our hearts. As we stand in just a moment to sing, Father, I pray you'd have your way. When we leave this place, we can say we have done business with you and we have honored you and we've listened and we've obeyed. And we have responded to you, the King. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Would you stand with me? Joey's going to lead us in this song of invitation, our closing song. If you need to respond, Heath and I will be here. love to pray with you. Grab your hand and love on you this morning. Or if you'd like to make Crossroads your home, come let us know this morning. So glad that you're here. Let's sing together. We hope you've been challenged and inspired from today's message. You can find out more about the message you have heard today by visiting our website, hope at crossroads.org. If you live in the upstate South Carolina area and you're looking for a church home, we hope you'll come by and visit sometime. Details about our church and service times can also be found online. In addition, we want to invite you to check out some of the great items at our website that will help you, or you can give as a gift to a friend. Devotionals and other resources are all available at hope at crossroads.org. Thanks again for listening, and we hope you will tune in again next week.